where I'm getting it. Because if you've got a King James, New King James, whatever, it's not going to sound the same, but it is the living Bible. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, we're going to learn how to think right. Listen to what he says. Now he's talking, this is Paul. We're diving into him talking to the Corinthians about the children of Israel crossing the wilderness and what their problem was. And listen to what he says. For we must never forget what happened to God's people in the wilderness long ago. God guided them by sending a cloud that moved along ahead of them. And he brought them all safely through the Red Sea. All these things happened to them so that we could read about them and learn from them in these last days as the world nears its end. So here's a word given to you and me that Paul wrote, of course, to the Corinthian church, wrote to all Christians everywhere, but he particularly targets it to people living near the end of time. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your blessing on the Word today. I pray that, Lord, you'll renew our thinking, that you'll renew our minds. I pray that you'll erase the old way of thinking and replace it with new thinking, God's thinking. I pray that you'll get us ready, prepared, postured to take the promised land. In Jesus' mighty name, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, I receive your Word today. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen. This is going to speak to you today. And before I begin, I want to quickly give a little plug for Wednesday nights. We're going on Wednesday nights. We're looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've grown every Wednesday night since we began. God is blessing it. And this Wednesday night, I'm going to be talking about the titles of the Holy Spirit. The titles of the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible, how does the Bible identify, what are the different titles God places on His Spirit. And I tell you, you don't want to miss it. Uh, After that, I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit as He manifested in the Old Testament. It's going to be a great series. It is a great series. Uh, 7 o'clock, Wednesday night. If you don't like to be fed the Word of God, we have great food out here afterwards. Real food. You're welcome to come. Now, we're about as a church to go into what I consider to be a promised land of sorts. We're about to cross our own Jordan. And I have learned a long time ago that God cares a whole lot about the way we think, that our thinking decides what we arrive at. Our thinking determines our walk. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so I want to talk to you about our thinking today. Now, what do we learn? Paul said we're to learn, we're to remember always the children of Israel and their trek through the wilderness. Now, what do we learn from the story of the children of Israel? Well, we learn that they went through three stages in their walk with God. Three stages in their walk with God. And I want you to say them with me. Egypt, the wilderness, and the promised land. Now, those are the three stages that the children of Israel went through in their their walk with God and in God's dealings with them. And he first had them in Egypt then the wilderness, then the promised land. Now, keep in mind that these, according to Paul, these stories, the story of them going through the wilderness, living in Egypt, going to the promised land, these were physical pictures of spiritual truth. These were things that were echoes and types and shadows and fingers pointing down the tunnel of time to the New Covenant, New Testament people of God. 
what happened to them in the physical arena is real for us spiritually. We have our Egypt, we have our wilderness, and we have our promised land. And you'll notice that as you study these people, in all three of their stages, all three of the stages they went through, they learned a major lesson that was necessary for the next level. And they never went up to the next level until they learned the lesson, learned what God was trying to teach them. Then they went to the next level. Yet Egypt, the wilderness, the promised land. I'll give you some for instances. In Egypt, they learned that God was mighty to deliver. He sent the ten plagues. He sent Moses got them out of there. In the wilderness, they learned that he was mighty to provide. In the promised land, they learned that God was mighty to conquer. In Egypt, they learned to pray, God, get us out of here. In the wilderness, they learned to trust. We need food. We need water. We need guidance. In the promised land, they learned to occupy. In Egypt, they learned there was an anointing on a man, Moses. There was an anointing. He glowed in the dark. His face glowed with the glory of God to the level they had to put a veil over it. So there was an anointing on a man in Egypt. In the wilderness, they learned there was an anointing on a place. Cloud by day, fire by night. Wherever God led them, that's where God was. But in the promised land, they learned there was an anointing on them. They were the anointed of God. In Egypt, they had a promise. In the wilderness, they had a problem. And in the promised land, they had a place. In Egypt, they requested. In the wilderness, they were tested. But in the promised land, they rested. Now, I'm telling you that these things are true for all of us here today. We're either in Egypt or we're in the wilderness or we're in the promised land. And remember now, all these things were a type. They were a shadow, a symbol, a picture of New Testament realities. For instance, Egypt is a picture of our spiritually lost condition. They were under a Pharaoh. We were under Satan. Pharaoh told them what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Satan, according to the Bible, had us under his sway and command. We were slaves to sin, slaves to his beckonings. We did not know freedom until Jesus set us free. All right? So Egypt is a picture of our spiritually lost condition. We needed a deliverer. They had Moses, came down to Egypt with the rod in his hand, and by the power of God delivered them out. Moses was a type of Christ. He was a Christ figure. But like Moses, Jesus came and delivered us from bondage by supernatural power. Moses brought them out, not by the arm of flesh, but by the power of God. Jesus brought us out, not by the arm of flesh, but by the anointed power of God. Now, the Red Sea that they walked up to, a million people, and wondered, what are we going to do now? The Red Sea is a picture of the utter impossibility of deliverance without supernatural intervention. When they crossed over, while God's power held the water back with Moses leading the way, it pictured the day that Jesus alone would lead us across the impossible barrier between us and God. We couldn't have been further from God. But as Moses held out the rod and the powerful wind blew and God parted that sea and they walked across on dry land, the blood of Jesus took your hand and took my and took God's hand and 
put our hands together and the impossible chasm between us and God was bridged by the blood of the Lamb of God. Thank God we now have fellowship with Him. Moses took them where they could never have gone on their own. Jesus took us where we would never have been able to go on our own. So that today we have fellowship with him through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it gets better than this. When the waters closed again, it swallowed the enemy that had been chasing Moses and the people. It swallowed their bitter enemy. And it showed us that the very way God made to deliver us, the blood of Jesus, closed in on the enemy and destroyed him. The blood that saved us destroyed the devil. The blood that brought forgiveness to us cursed him. What was a blessing to us became a curse to him. Thank God for the blood. Where would we be without the blood of the Lamb of God? And the waters closing behind them said, you can't return. And I've got good news for you today, folks. When you got saved and the Holy Spirit came to live in your heart, you can't return. You cannot go back. That world is dead to you and you're dead to that world. Just try going back. Sin, you are ruined for sin from now on. You'll never be able to enjoy it the same way again because the Holy Ghost is living inside of you. And now God says, you can't go back. All you can do is head for the promised land. But then we come to the wilderness. They left Egypt by the power of God. Moses, a type of Christ. The Red Sea parted to let them through. And then they found themselves in the wilderness. And everything changed. Wilderness was the place they learned to trust God. Now I want you to catch this now. I want you to be sure you get it. What was God trying to teach them? They should have, could have, would have traversed that land in two weeks. We know that from beginning to finish, if they had kept walking and had not gotten hindered, they could have made it in two weeks. The Jordan would have divided and they would have been eating those great big grapes in a month's time. Isn't that incredible? But what stopped them? God was trying to teach them one lesson. And it's this lesson he's trying to teach you and me all the time. And we must learn this lesson if we're going to move on to our own promised land. Trust. Just trust. God was trying to teach them just to trust him. It was in the wilderness he guided them. Cloud by day, fire by night. If they couldn't sleep in their tent one night, all they had to do was go outside if they felt insecure or uptight or fearful and look up in the sky. And there in the sky, hanging like a great big fireball, was God's presence saying, I'm here, I'm with you. Just follow the fire by night and the cloud by day. I'm with you, my people. I love you, my people. Now we've got a better than the fire by night and the cloud by day. We've got the Holy Ghost living right inside of us. And he says, I'm Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. But he was trying to teach them to trust him. And not only did he guide them in the wilderness, but he provided for them in the wilderness. That's where they first found manna. What is it? They looked on the ground and there it was. It looked like the dew on the ground. They had to gather it before the sun rose. It did not have a warranty on it. If you didn't eat it that day, it rotted and spoiled. And God was teaching them, trust me to provide for your needs 
means every day. I'm going to be there. It may not be uh, uh, Del Frisco steak. It may not be. It's just manna. It's what is it? You can fry it. You can bake it. You can grill it. You can steam it. But it's manna every day. Nobody said, what's for dinner today? They all knew. Manna. But God was trying to teach them to trust Him. That's all. Trust me, my people. You are not going to be able to go over into the promised land if you have not learned to trust me. I've got to get you to the place that you trust me. If you can't trust me to feed you and you can't trust me to guide you, how are you going to trust me to take your enemies down? You've got to know that the same God that provided back there is going to bring the giant down up there. I'm trying to teach you incrementally over time to trust me. And so we find that we have our own wilderness places. And and unless I'm wrong about this, any wilderness I've ever been through, at the core of it, it was the lesson of trusting God, trusting Him for finances, trusting Him for guidance, trusting Him to make His way clear. And so God said to them, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to provide for you. But those two issues, they went round and round about with God until they finally got it. And God says in Deuteronomy verse eight and, or chapter 8 and verse 2, He gives the reason why they were in the wilderness. Now you listen to this because this has to do with all of us. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man, this is what Jesus quoted to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. How many of you can say, I'll take that anointing? No swollen feet. So God is saying here, here's why the wilderness was there. It was to teach you. It was to teach you to trust me. And once they finally learned it, they were able to cross over. So in the wilderness, it was trust and obey, just like the old song says. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to... In New Testament living, the first lesson you learn are provision lessons. Have you ever noticed that? The minute you get saved, God provides from every which direction. He's trying to teach you, you can trust me. I don't know what your needs are today. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you need some extra cash. But I want to take you right down to the Word of God. He is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. And He is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. And He wants you to learn to trust Him. It may not be your timing. It may be 1159.59, but God will get it there on time. I've never ever seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread now next came the promised land and in the promised land they learned to appropriate the promises again the transition from one place to another was a defining moment symbolized by a body of water this time not the red sea but the jordan river at flood tide dried up by the power of God, and two million people crossed over. Crossing the Red Sea from Egypt symbolized being delivered from satanic bondage and beginning a new walk with God. But crossing the Jordan symbolized a commitment to spiritual warfare, to claim what God had promised. Now I want you to listen to that again. 
because I don't know about you, but I want to get out of the wilderness and I want to move into some promised land living. And the only way we're going to get into promised land living is transitioning to promised land thinking. So listen to this now. Crossing the Red Sea from Egypt symbolized being delivered from satanic bondage and beginning a new walk with God. I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. Jesus comes into your life and he sets you free and you sing and you shout and now you're free. You've crossed the Red Sea. You're reconciled to God. But now, now, crossing the Jordan symbolized a commitment to spiritual warfare to claim what God had promised. It was passing from one level in their walk with God to another. On that great day, Two million people crossed the Jordan into a brand new dimension. But it was the children of the first wilderness wanderers, not the original generation, because the children transitioned into promised land thinking. And again, the crossing was supernatural. This time, not Moses, but Joshua was the type of Christ. So the children of Israel passed through three stages in their walk with God. Let's say it again. Egypt, wilderness, and the promised land. Now, I believe that everybody here today is in one of those three stages. Egypt, which is slavery thinking. What is slavery thinking? It is, I'm destined to serve Pharaoh's commands. I'm not free. I don't have my own life. I'm destined to be a slave. I'm destined to be subservient to things that I do not like and that do not bless me and do not make my day. I am destined to be under Pharaoh. That's Egyptian slavery thinking. Wilderness thinking is, I'll never make it. It's I'll never make it thinking. I'll never cross over thinking. I'll never get there thinking. I'll never amount to anything thinking. I'll never arrive at God's best for me thinking. And that is not God's thinking. That is defeatist negative thinking. And that's wilderness thinking. Promised land thinking is, I can do. I can do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Positive thinking says, I can do all things, period. But Christian thinking is different. Christian thinking says, I can do all things through the one who makes me strong, through the one who died for me, through the one who gives me power by the Holy Ghost, through the Lamb of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I want to begin leading us today into promised land thinking because we're headed towards some promised land uh, business. And so we need to be thinking like promised land thinkers. Now, listen to what Paul said. Be not conformed to this world's way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, watch this. Be not conformed to the way this world thinks. But how are you and I transformed? We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. You can't go forward if you're looking backward. You can't go forward if you're still stuck in the way you used to think. The day you say, I can't, you probably won't. But the day you realize that you can do all things through Christ, particularly what he has for your life, then you will do it. So be not conformed to the way this world thinks but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The more I study this word, 
the more I understand what God's will is for me. The more I saturate my mind in the scriptures, the more I understand what he wants for me. I renew my mind by erasing the old way of thinking and replacing it with God's way of thinking. If I'm thinking negative, if I'm thinking doubtful, if I'm thinking fearful, I go to the word of God and it's like I turn on a light. It's like I can just feel oil flowing over my mind and I renew my thinking and I realize if he tells me to do it, I can do it. If he points me in a direction, I will get there. When he tells me to leave, I know he's already arrived at my arrival and is waiting for me to get there because he, he ends a thing before he even begins it. Scripture testifies that each time they stepped into a new level, they had experienced a change in their thinking. Anytime they went to a new level, they experienced a change in their thinking. How many of you want to think differently, move forward in God? If you're going to move forward in God and take what God has for you, and I mean in your marriage, if your marriage is rocky, if your marriage is in trouble, you anoint it with the Word of God and you change your thinking. I guarantee you there's stinking thinking going on in a marriage that's on the rocks. And you can turn it around. Any marriage that ends up in divorce court is there most of the time because of thinking that could have been renewed and changed. In Egypt, they had a slavery mentality. In the wilderness, a self-centered mentality. But in the promised land, they had a conquering mentality. In Egypt, they were passive. In the wilderness, they were preoccupied. But in the promised land, they were possessors. In Egypt, they were absorbed in their circumstances. In the wilderness, they were absorbed in themselves. In the promised land, they were absorbed in God. And that's a good place to be. In Egypt, they anguished in slavery. In the wilderness, they languished in unbelief. But in the promised land, they vanquished the enemy by the power of God. In Egypt, they wanted out. In the wilderness, they wanted more. But in the promised land, they wanted God. In Egypt, they focused on what they did not have. In the wilderness, they focused on what they could not have. But in the promised land, they focused on what God wanted them to have. Amen. In Egypt... They were in pain. In the wilderness, they complained. But in the promised land, they proclaimed the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to proclaim the glory of God. I don't want to live in pain. I don't want to live in complaining. But I do want to live proclaiming the glory of God, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want a church that is turned inward. I want a church that is looking outward. I want a church that is moving onward, forward, and upward in the call of God. And that's why we got to change the way we think. In every one of these phases, wilderness, Egypt, the promised land. Every time they moved up, it was because their thinking had changed. Their thinking had changed. Now, let me first elaborate a little bit about slavery thinking. Slavery thinking is like this. How did they think in Egypt? Slavery thinking is characterized by three things, visionless, hopeless, and helpless. 
I'm hopeless to do anything about my life. I'm helpless to take any steps to fix anything, and I don't have any vision for the future. That's Egyptian thinking. That's slavery thinking. That's the way you are when you're lost in the world without hope and without God. But unfortunately, there are a lot of believers who have lost sight of God, who are not in the Word very much, and they get visionless, and they get hopeless, and they get helpless. That's slavery thinking. That's Egyptian thinking. I don't have any hope. There's no help, and I don't have a future. No hope, no help, and no future. You don't know. Have you ever noticed this? You don't know what you don't have till someone tells you what you don't have and that there's more. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, when I got saved, I heard about what I did not have. I thought being a Christian was boring. I thought being a Christian had to be the worst lifestyle imaginable. There were times I opened up this word, and of course, I picked up a King James, these and thous and wouldas and shouldas and couldas, and I, I opened it up, read a few uh, verses, and thought, how could anybody get anything out of this book? I thought Christianity was Dullsville. I thought it was a dead end until... I heard the gospel, and when I heard the gospel, I realized what I did not have. Listen, instead of looking at Christianity like, well, if I become a Christian, look at all the things I won't be able to do. God's a divine killjoy. I won't be able to party, won't be able to have fun, won't be able to be myself. But no, 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 you got it all wrong. Christianity declares to you things you will be able to do that you can't do now. Right now, you can't worship God in the Holy Ghost and power because he's not in your life. You can't fellowship with the saints because you've got nothing in common with them. You can't open up this Bible and get anything out of it. It's a dead letter because you've got a dead spirit. But when God comes into your life, and you become born again and the Holy Ghost takes up residence inside of you and calls you his home, this word pulsates with life. All of a sudden, there is the fellowship of the saints and you can lift your hands and worship God in the beauty of holiness and enjoy wave after wave of liquid love from the Holy Ghost of the living God and you can plug in to the life that Jesus came to bring and you can have flowing up out of you artesian springs in the Spirit, springing up into everlasting life. There's all kinds of things believers can do that unbelievers cannot do. <laughs> oh my, I'm trying to preach today. I'm pretty worked up about this. I don't know about you. I'm full of chocolate cake, but I feel good. God said, to Moses when he was going to go set the people free. He whetted their appetite. He dangled a carrot in front of them, but it was not to tease them. It was to inspire them to go for it. Listen to what God said to Moses. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. God sees your pain. He sees your tears. He sees your heartache. He sees your struggles. He sees your agonies. He sees your disillusionments and your disappointments. God sees every one of them. I have surely seen and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. A taskmaster can be many things. This week, I have dealt with people whose taskmaster was a drug, whose taskmaster was alcohol, whose taskmaster was a relationship that was abusive. Listen, there can be a lot of taskmasters, but know that God sees your pain, he sees your bondage, and he knows exactly who the taskmaster is that is tying you down. I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. 
What a visual picture. I could just picture milk and honey flowing across the acreage. Uh, flowing with milk and honey. It just makes you drool, doesn't it? Just flowing with, I love honey. I put honey on biscuits. I put honey on toast. I eat honey all by itself. I like honey. Amen. But if I thought about a land that was flowing in it, where you could almost you know, jump in and swim around in it, that's what it sounds like. And see, God is giving them a vision. He's saying, let me tell you what you don't have, but you can have if you come to me. And he goes on. He says, it's flowing with milk and honey. There's giants there, Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, all the ites. But I'm telling you, don't worry about the ites. Get your eyes on the milk and honey because we'll take care of all the ites and we're going to get you into the milk and honey. Can you give God praise today, church? That's what he does. God gave Moses a dream. He gave a vision to the people to deliver them from visionless, hopeless, helpless, slavery thinking. And the dream was, there's more. There's more. And I say to everybody listening by radio and to all of you who are here today, there's more in God. You could never, ever, ever get everything out of God that he has for you and me. Eye has not seen. Ear has never heard it. It has not entered into the imagination of your mind on your best day, even close, what God has prepared for those who love him. He's a good God. Thank God. And then there was wilderness thinking, and I think wilderness thinking is where probably a majority of Western Christians live, wilderness thinking. What is wilderness thinking? It's all about you. It's all about you. What you want, what you need, we for, no more. Enough is never enough. It's always, always, always you. How many of you know that God wants us out of our spiritual diapers and he wants us moving into adulthood? God's tired of changing our dirty diapers. He's tired of getting up in the middle of the night to listen to us complain about things. Listen, let me tell you something. God wants us moving to adulthood, Paul said, into the fullness of the stature of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. He wants us to arrive at the maturity that Jesus Christ had. And that's never going to happen in the wilderness. Wilderness thinking is marked by a complaining, murmuring, critical attitude of unbelief. The person I feel most sorry for in Fort Worth is the person who has been hired to stand behind the complaint counter at Walmart. <laughs> Have you ever noticed there is not a thank you counter? There's only a complaint counter. I wouldn't last five minutes behind that complaint counter. I wouldn't last three minutes. I'd say to them, would you get off it? At least you had money to come here. At least you had a car with gas in it. At least you had tires that worked. At least you got a house to go to. I watch these people and I can see them coming. They come up with something that just didn't work just right. They ought to go up and say, thank you that you're here. That you're one of the greatest fighters of poverty in the whole world. Thank God there's a Walmart in my town. But I tell you what, if we had the complaint counter here and the thank you counter here, which do you think would have the longest line? Because we're all complainers by nature, aren't we? We complain. In the wilderness, the children of Israel, they fell into the trap of constantly complaining. They complained about the water. They complained about the food. They complained about the quality of the food. They complained about the water again. I mean, water is shooting out of a rock. And they're complaining. I'd be going, oh, praise God, water shooting straight out of a dry rock. But instead, they sit there and say, ah, water out of a rock, get us back to Egypt. 
Let me tell you something, folks. Stinking thinking will dig your own grave for you six feet under, and you'll die there. They complained about God's timing, complained about Moses, complained about Aaron, complained about everything in the world. So for 40 years, they went round and round with God over provision issues, never transitioning into promised land thinking. So their kids went over and not them. Only two out of a million made it, Joshua and Caleb. Their kids went over and not them. Preoccupied, self-centered, unbelieving, and complaining, they languished in the wilderness. Giants didn't keep them from the land. An army didn't keep them from the land. The Jordan didn't keep them from the land. And Moses did not keep them from the land. Their thinking kept them from the land. Wilderness thinking kept them from the land. But then finally, we come to promised land thinking. Promised land thinking says it's not about you, it's about him. I'm going to say that again. It's not about you, but it's about him. And until we can transition into that, we will walk around in circles in a wilderness place. We have got to realize it is not about us. We are not numero uno. We are not that important. What's really important is being people of the big picture. And I want to be a person of the big picture. As long as you're thinking wilderness thinking, it's all about you. And that is small-time vision. That is no vision at all. All that God is there is a provider until you get to heaven. But he's far more than that. He is the God who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is a God who pours his life into you. He is a God who hatched a plan for you in his mind before the earth was ever formed. He called you to be in his son and to fulfill his will for you. He's got a big plan and it's little thinking that is only focused on you and me. We've got to wake up in the morning and say, it's not about me. It's about him and what he wants to do in the earth. It's about billions of people who have never heard the gospel. It's about millions in our own backyard who are enslaved to sin and bondage. It's about getting the gospel out there and letting our light shine. It's about the big, I want to be somebody of the big picture. Promised land thinkers believe that God is with them, on them, and working through them. Promised land thinkers believe that God is with them, on them, and working through them. God's on you. That's what they realized in the promised land. When they crossed the Jordan, they realized that, yeah, they had Joshua, but they themselves walked around the walls of Jericho, and those walls fell by the power of God. The anointing was on them, and the anointing is on you. You have not chosen him. He has chosen you, that you would go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. He wants you to answer to him at the end of time, and he wants you to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Promised land thinkers believe God has a plan for them and that it is their destiny and anything is worth getting it. Promised land believers, promised land thinkers believe God is greater than any obstacle, will overcome any mountain and make a way even when there is no way. Can I tell you today that whatever obstacle is standing in your way, It may be a marriage that's in trouble, finances that are in trouble, a habit that's got you in its grip. I'm here to preach Jesus up and preach the devil down. I want to tell you that Jesus can set you free. He's got a word for your marriage. He's got provision for your finances. He's got a destiny for your life. He's called you to walk in it. And if there isn't a way, he'll make a way. If the water's in your way, he'll part it and you'll walk through on dry land. He is our way maker. He'll say, this is the way. 
way. Walk ye in it. What he's called you to, he will get you to. He's got a plan for you. Somebody just said, Martha, he sure is worked up. I know, I've worked up a sweat. I tell myself I'm going to sit up here and be sophisticated and pontificate and say, God, I can't because this moves me because you live once and then you die. You're not coming back as a cow or an insect or something else. You live once and it's the judgment. We've got one time to make a shot. We've got one time to make an impact. You're getting older, not younger, and so am I. I know that our days are limited and that we need to work while it is daytime because the night comes when no man can work. So it's time to get our eyes off of ourselves and get them on the big picture and let's take the land for God. The motto of promised land thinkers is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Promised land thinkers learn to take action, they learn to take authority, and they learn to take the land. Can we stand together? I'm going to speak on this for a few weeks because our minds need to be renewed. Mine needs to be renewed. I learned a long time ago, my biggest enemy is looking at me in the mirror. Sometimes the devil doesn't have to do a whole lot. He just lets us do it. But I'm going to tell you something, church. I want with every atom of my being what God wants for us. I want to make an impact. I want whatever is left of this world when we're gone to remember that we were here. I want to leave a spiritual legacy. I know that's his will for us. So in the next few weeks, we're going to renew our minds to be freed from slavery thinking, delivered from wilderness thinking, and established in promised land thinking. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, help us to be people of the big picture. If you want to be someone of the big picture, you want to live for that high purpose, would you raise your hand? Say, Lord, help me to walk in the reality of the big picture. The big picture. I'm called to play a part. I am called to play a part in the big picture. Father, we ask you to speak to us, to anoint us, and to help us to get our minds off ourselves and out of slavery thinking into promised land thinking so that we will take the land and play our part. Thank you, Lord. I want you to take a moment while Steve just plays lightly and maybe sings a little bit. I don't know what's on his mind, but I want you to take a moment. You know, here in church, we should be praying. 
We should be dealing with God and letting God deal with us in church. And maybe, I don't know where you are in your life, but I don't care what you do. I don't care what your job is. I know you're called to the big picture. And you've got a part to play. And I want you to say, Lord, doing what I do, I want to play my part. And I want to answer the deeper call. Amen. Play Steve. And you just take a moment to pray here in the house of God. If you want to come to the altar, you can come to the altar. You don't have to. If you want to, you can. But wherever you are, take a minute and just pray.